0: You ever watch this guy on television? You all were not telling the truth, and you should not be trusted. Congressman
1: Matt Gates, thank you for what you yeah. did for your country tonight. Be
0: offended with the Democratic whip, not House Republic Republicans. Like a machine, Matt Gates. Welcome to Hot Takes. I'm Congressman Matt Gates. Let's talk about the news. It's debate day. That's right, Joe Biden and Donald Trump in the long-anticipated matchup. This might be the most watched debate in American history, certainly one of the most anticipated. Joe Biden, I think in this debate uh, has a lot to prove, a lot to gain, so does the president. I'm gonna break down what I think each is trying to do. Let's start with the president. The president needs to show command, strong leader. That's gonna be the analysis afterwards. Did he appear to be in a better position to lead the country through a recovery, to finish the response to the coronavirus? To respond to the discord and riots and mob rule on the streets. If he appears uh, in a way that enhances his strong leader rating, uh, the president has prevailed in the debate. He has met his objective. Turn to Joe Biden. His objective is to get through the debate. Uh, I suspect Joe Biden will be looking for every opportunity to get interrupted by the president, by the moderator, Chris Wallace, who is known to Put his stamp on a debate which is not necessarily a good thing because it should be about the candidates not the moderator but joe biden will be looking to avoid what i think is the greatest challenge that that he faces when he speaks and that's completing a thought a paragraph or a sentence if joe biden finishes the debate standing his team will undeniably take credit they will declare victory with anything other than a sort of sputtering and puttering a conclusion to joe biden's presentations and I think that's where uh, the president needs to ensure that he gives Joe Biden sufficient time, sufficient rope one might say uh, to tangle himself up and ensnare himself in his own thoughts and concepts. Uh, The topics for the debate essentially are the universe. I mean, the the records of the candidates, the response to coronavirus, dealing with the mob rule and racial discord that the country is currently encountering. And so I don't suspect there will be a whole lot of focus. I expect the candidates will be jabbing each other a good amount. And there's not really a live audience the way we would normally anticipate. And so the you know hems and haws and laughters and cheers and jeers from the audience unlikely to be a critical element that we see here. Another thing we'll miss from typical debates is the spin room. Uh, I've gone for presidential and gubernatorial debates before to advocate for my preferred candidate's position following a debate. Uh, I've been there when it's been easy to do because your candidate does really well, and I've been there when it is difficult to do because they don't do well. And here that spin will largely be occurring uh, in Twitter sphere and uh, throughout social media and digital media uh, because there's not that great assembly of energy uh, that we're typically used to. So it should be an exciting first debate. I look forward to it. We'll be back tomorrow with even more updates, highlights and analysis of what should be a pretty special encounter. Fox News is reporting on some negotiations for the presidential debates that are going to occur tonight. The Trump team reportedly wanting an inspection of the candidate's ears to ensure that there is no recording device or uh, device that would allow the candidate to hear coaching or otherwise communicate. Interestingly, the Biden campaign has not agreed to that. The Biden campaign has also not agreed to a drug test prior to the debate. Uh, They have sought a break uh, every 30 minutes for the candidate, uh, clearly you know, demonstrating, I think, a lack of mental rigor that the Biden campaign is worried about regarding their candidate, uh, and no agreement from the Trump campaign on those breaks. So while both sides seem to be arguing for specific things to ensure that uh, the debate is consistent with the standards of the candidates, I think it's also uh, recognizable to note that you didn't see a whole lot of agreement on those terms. The number one question I get as I travel the country interacting with Americans and airports and restaurants and on the street is, one of the folks going to jail who set up the president, and we've talked about that a lot on the podcast, but the number two question I get is, how'd you lose all that weight? That's right, I used to clock in at a smooth 230, now down to about a buck 80, and I attribute a great deal of that weight loss success to intermittent fasting, but there's a new report out from CNBC. Intermittent fasting doesn't help you lose weight, UCSF study suggests. Uh, It's from Christina Farr. Intermittent fasting, which is eating in a restricted window of time, is a popular health fad, but studies have prepared preliminary been, preliminarily, excuse me, been conducted on mice, not people. And in this 12 week study of 116 overweight people, they found no statistically significant difference in weight loss between people who restricted their eating to a specific eight hour period of time compared to those who don't. The study comes from Dr. Ethan Weiss, a cardiologist at the University of California, San Francisco. I don't know, Dr. Weiss, it worked for me. Maybe it was just that the intermittent fasting aligned well with some other good health choices, but I typically don't eat till about two o'clock each day, and uh, after you've fasted for a substantial period of time, you're sort of incentivized to eat a little healthier because you figure, well, I've made this commitment and this sacrifice thus far, so don't give it away with the 230 cheeseburger. I don't know, we'll see. Sure has worked for me. Hope it works for other Americans. Dr. Weiss says be skeptical. The leader of Kuwait has died. The report comes from Citizen Free Press. The ruler passed away at age 91, according to Kuwait State Television. I'll probably butcher his name, but it's Sheikh Shabad al-Almad al-Sabah. Kuwait has been a longtime ally of the United States. Of course, the first Gulf War was a consequence of the Iraqi invasion of Kuwait. Kuwaiti State Television pronouncing, It is with great sadness and sorrow that we mourn to the Kuwaiti people, the Arab and Islamic nations, and the friendly peoples of the world, the death of the late His Highness Sheikh Sabad al-Ahmad al-Jabbar al-Sabah, emir of the state of Kuwait, who moved next to his lord. State television announced the death after playing a series of prayers. News of his death comes two months after the ruler was flown to the United States in U.S. Air Force C-17 Uh, just days after ongoing an unspecified surgery at his home. We hope that the relationship between the United States and Kuwait will endure any one leader, any one generation of leaders. More friends makes for a safer world. Certainly, Kuwait has been a friend. Because we have the Trump-Biden debate tonight, uh, I thought we'd have a segment here just with some of the highlights and Greatest hits from the Trump-Clinton debates. Boy, they were epic. Boy, they had some sharp barbs. Listen to this and see if it gets you in the mood for tonight's presidential debate. Our jobs are being taken
1: out by the deal that her husband signed, NAFTA, one of the worst deals ever. Our jobs are being sucked out of our economy. I am a very strong supporter of the Second Amendment. We are going to appoint justices that will feel very strongly about the Second Amendment, that will not do damage. I have a feeling that by the end of this evening, I'm going to be blamed for everything that's ever happened. Why not? Why not? Yeah, why not? I will release my tax returns when she releases her 33,000 emails that have been deleted. As soon as she releases them, I will release. I will release. I'm not gonna make any excuses. It was a mistake, and I take responsibility for that. Okay, that was not a mistake. That was done purposely. I think it's disgraceful. And believe me, this country thinks it's disgrace... It really thinks it's disgraceful also. It's just awfully good that someone With the temperament of Donald Trump is not in charge of the law in our country. Because you'd be in jail. Secretary Clinton.
0: This report from investigative journalist Sarah Carter at sarahcarter.com. Riot fund promoted by Kamala Harris helped bail out child predator. Why hasn't she been forced to explain her support for this fund? A recent Daily Caller News Foundation investigation discovered that a bail fund promoted by Senator Kamala Harris actually bailed out a man accused of sexually assaulting an eight-year-old girl. The bail fund, known as the Minnesota Freedom Fund, allowed the child predator to get out of jail in July, according to the documents uh, that were uncovered by the Daily Caller News Foundation. The Minnesota Freedom Fund was touted by Harris, along with other Democratic supporters and celebrities, as a means of supporting rioters that destroyed the city of Minneapolis following the tragic killing of George Floyd. So this is uh, yet another thing that hasn't been explained by Kamala Harris. Uh, And if you look at a lot of these funds that have been created, they're being supported by corporate America, they're being supported by Hollywood, and the result is less safety in our communities. By one means, that safety is eroded because there is a diminished deterrent to the rioting. You know if you go out and break through a nike store and walk out with some mayor jordans that you're less likely to face consequences if hollywood and corporate america have set up this fund to provide for your release and similarly if those funds are resulting in folks getting out of jail or prison who might otherwise need to be there uh, that also contributes to eroding safety and it creates this compounding effect when you have law enforcement officials prosecutors in some of these jurisdictions saying if people spit on police if they harm police if they assault police that'll just be viewed as political speech it won't be viewed as the assault uh, or criminal activity that it is i think that we need to support our police and our law enforcement i think we need to stand up to the corporate left and the political left as they do damage to america Yesterday, we covered the Project Veritas investigative journalism showing extensive ballot harvesting and election fraud in the state of Minnesota. Minnesota is a swing state. The president only just lost Minnesota in 2016, and he believes that the effect of these riots and the eroding civil society fanned and fueled and endorsed by a lot of the left-wing political leaders in Minnesota will cause folks to vote Republican and vote for the president. And so there is an effort on both sides to really hunker down in Minnesota politically. And for the president, that's meant a lot of stops and visits to the state, a lot of visits from members of the first family. But for the left, it is meant utilizing the ballot deployment system to try to manufacture votes that were not lawfully cast. Check out the uh, the episode that we've done previously on on Project Veritas to get that information. But the new update, uh, according to the Daily Wire, is that Tulsi Gabbard has joined the calls to end this ballot harvesting. Tulsi Gabbard has largely been shunned by the Democratic Party as a consequence of her uh, more right-leaning social views. Uh, she crosses party lines often to vote with Republicans on foreign policy issues at time, I've worked with Congresswoman Gabbard and Matter of fact, have an upcoming project with her, we'll be reporting on tomorrow. Uh, But her willingness to speak truth to power in the Democratic Party is certainly admirable. And even when you have a Democrat who is a presidential candidate who is very critical of Donald Trump saying, this is wrong, this is illegal, uh, I think there's an obligation to listen and to respond. And it's certainly my hope that the Department of Justice is looking into uh, this information collected by Project Veritas, that seems to evidence the commission of crimes. Yesterday I joined the Secretary of Agriculture, Sonny Perdue, in Jay, Florida. He and I held a town hall meeting with farmers who are still recovering from Hurricane Sally. I want to give an update to the folks back home in northwest Florida that we expect Santa Rosa County to receive a disaster declaration today. And I'm working very closely with the White House for the Panhandle to be eligible for individual assistance for people who are impacted by the flooding and damage and destruction of Hurricane Sally. I've gotten nothing but positive feedback from the White House. There's a little bit of paperwork that they've still got to get through FEMA. It's a little bit more difficult because in water events and flooding events, the damage is not as evident as it is in windstorm events. You got to get in houses, look at water lines, designate certain neighborhoods uh, for the type of major disaster, harm, loss that would justify individual assistance in the Panhandle counties impacted by Hurricane Sally. So again, working closely with the White House, should have more updates, but got great feedback from some of our farmers not only how we can be helpful responding in the disaster phase of this, but also how the president's trade policies uh, can put America first and can allow our farmers to be successful. Tariff payments have been made to farmers. I heard from a number of them that the president's policies of taking these tariffs and utilizing it to help farmers uh, has been very consequential, has allowed folks to stay in their family farms, And I support that decision by the president because our great patriotic farmers have been targeted by China and they deserve the full support of our country because food security is national security. You know, in this last pandemic, availability of protective equipment, vaccines, supplies, tests, all of that uh, really was shown to be far too offshored in our nation. Imagine if the same happened with food. Imagine if for some reason the food supply chain was impacted, we sure would uh, be grateful for any of the programs that supported American farming and that ensured that we could grow food to support our population. So I support the farmers. I support the policies that ensure that we're able to maintain diversity of crop, strong supply chain, response from disaster, and some sense of predictability for those who are out there planting and growing and harvesting. America's farmers are great patriots. I know the Trump administration stands behind them, and so do I. Thanks for listening to Hot Takes. I'm Congressman Matt Gates. Today we were recording on the road, so I apologize for the sound quality. That's just part of the deal sometimes with a daily podcast, and certainly wanted to give everyone the chance to listen before we have tonight's exciting presidential debate. So enjoy. Join us tomorrow, because we're going to break it down and have the analysis. And make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any hot takes.